Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are still in our series in Deuteronomy. Today we are talking about friendships. And I brought my friend Katie with me. Hey, I'm Katie. And the question that we have for you today is, what friendship has survived your last hard season? Enjoy. So, we already kind of set the scene. Today we're talking about friendships. So we're still in the, the book of Deuteronomy. And everyone said, Woo. Uh, Deuteronomy has been our series where we've been talking about maturity, right? Kind of the idea of moving from the kids' table to the adults' table at Thanksgiving, like Lee said the other week, right? Um, and so one of the reasons that we are talking about maturity and friendships today is because we're at an all-time high of friendships becoming disposable. Um, there's a real, how do I say this? I kind of want to just call out like Twitter culture where like every day it's just something that pops up that's like, anyone who's toxic for you, drop them. Or get all the people out of, you know what I mean? Yeah. And there's obviously truth to that. There are real toxic and unhealthy relationships in our life that we need space from. Um, but the disposability of relationships is so high right now at any time that things get uncomfortable, we're kind of allowed to say like, oh, it was getting toxic, mm -hmm. right? When like, was it, or was it just getting hard? Um, and that's the maturity piece that I think uh, is good to talk through and work through because friendships, right, are some of the most important things that we have. Uh, and so we're going to do a little bit of that work today. Um, so we're going to still be in Deuteronomy. We're going to be in Deuteronomy 15. This is a passage we've already preached on in this series, so it's kind of fun to go back and look at it in a different light. Um, and so we're in Deuteronomy 15 this morning. Um, it is De Deuteronomy 15, 1 to 3. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. This is how it is to be done. Every creditor shall cancel any loan they have made to a fellow Israelite. They shall not require payment from anyone among their own people because the Lord's time for canceling debts has been proclaimed. You may require payment from a foreigner, but you must cancel the debt from your fellow Israelite. This also is quoting a passage in Leviticus 25. And in that passage, it says uh, a lot of math. It's like in the seventh year of the seventh day <laughs> times seven plus this one uh, right before this. And then it ends with consecrate the 50th year after just a whole bunch of math. Okay. Um, Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all of its inhabitants. It shall be the year of jubilee for you. Each of you should return to your family and your property to your own family. The 50th year shall be a year of jubilee for you. Do not sow, do not reap. It's quoting this passage in Deuteronomy. And the year of jubilee and the word jubilee is like such a special and important thing to me. And I've thought about it a couple times, but the word jubilee means to release and return. So this idea of jubilee is that at the end of cancel debts, there is a celebration. Um, and that's what's happening over and over and over again in scripture. And that's what we're saying over and over and over again. And what we're gonna talk about this morning in sit -in is the reality that we don't have to do math anymore to have debts canceled, right? Like you don't need to wait seven years and then seven times, and then it's the 50th year mm -hmm. to give someone back their phone. On the 12th day. Yeah, if that's, that doesn't apply to you right now. You know, that makes mm -hmm. sense. Um, but for us, we're like, okay, we're now kingdom people. We're gonna live into this kingdom reality. So we want to be um, the kind of people who experience Jubilee um, because we have canceled debts, which if you've ever been in debt, then... You would love it to be canceled. Right. Would anyone love some canceled debt? Anyone? Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Sally Mae, if you're listening, I doubt you listen to this podcast, but if you are, 
I'd love some camp with that. There's, um, as we were talking about this, and we talk about this a lot at New Abbey, the reality that when we're in these Old Testament things and we're talking about these laws, and then we have the person of Jesus that comes and says, it's not about the law, it's about living into this kingdom reality, and this kingdom is where? It's in our midst. So an invitation to live every day as we are in this reality, right, that the law was presenting. So the law is saying, here's all this math, here's all these numbers, every seventh year, blah, 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 cancel debts. And then the person of Jesus comes and says, live into this now, which means we should always be acting as people who cancel debts. Mm -hmm. That should be our MO. And one of the things, the first thing we want to talk about this morning is how to be friends, not debt collectors, Mm -hmm. because they're not the same thing, Mm -hmm. right? And that's a really hard place to get to. And that's true with all relationships, right? Um, And so I'm going to give you some context um, into why we want to talk about this, why we care about this so much, just a little bit of our story, which is probably similar to a lot of relationships. Um, So Katie and I met because we were the only female pastors on staff, right? Which it started out kind of like I was the only woman on staff, and then they hired Katie. I'd never met her. And everyone kept saying, like, oh, my gosh, you're going to love Katie. You're going to love Katie, which makes you already kind of not like someone, right? Like, you're like... (laughs) Don't tell me who I am and I am not going to like, right? This is already like, oh, just because she's a girl. Like, you know what I mean? It just felt like, whoa, back up, people. Um, But then I did really like Katie. So it's fine. So, you know, that was five years ago. And for the first two years of our friendship, everything was like magical, good, fun, wonderful, Mm -hmm. which is like the beginning of any relationship, Mm -hmm. right? Most of the reason, like, you start liking someone, you become friends with someone is because you're like, wow, this is great, this is fun, this is easy, this is good. Um, And we got to work together, which work friends are the best kind of friend because you spend all day together and share, like, the most intimate details of your life and then go home and then see them again randomly at 9 in the morning. Like, it's a strange thing that you get to do. And we lived in a world, if I'm being honest, I don't know if we have any old megachurch pastors in the room, but like most days we would just talk to each other. Mm-hmm. That's just a full confession. We did not do work. And so... <laughs> I did some work. Yeah, we did work. No, yeah, we did things, but it was a lot of talking yeah. to each other. Yeah. And so we got to do all these things, and we got to develop this, this friendship that was so special and so beautiful. We got to start this ministry together. We got to do all these things. And then a, a lot of things started happening that started making that friendship more complicated. So everything starts as like fun, easy, good. This is a great person. I love them. They have all these things. Um, and then the first things that we sort of experienced together that was uncomfortable is we went on a civil rights tour together, mm-hmm. right? And so Katie's from Orange County, right? Um, I'm from an equally less diverse place, but I just happen to be black. <laughs> and, um, and we're in this civil rights tour which just like shines a light on how differently we see things, how differently we understand race in America, how... <laughs> Differently, we understand ourselves and the way that we sort of walk into the world, mm-hmm. right? And then not long after that, Katie got pregnant. And I used to joke with my friends, before I had many friends who had babies, the joke was like, every baby shower is a funeral for your friendship, is like how it felt, right? <laughs> it's I know. Yeah, it is. But like, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? You're just like, okay, I'm not going to see this person in the way I used to. They're going to be a completely different friend, and that's fine, but that's certainly going to shift things. And then when Katie was eight months pregnant, so we went on the civil rights tour, we got in all these deep conversations about race. Katie's life was gonna change in a drastic way because she's pregnant and she's eight months pregnant. And then I came out to her as the first person who has ever come out to her. Um, and that shifted things even more. Yeah, and it was on my birthday. 
In my defense, it was the only time we had been alone in a while. I was like, wow, I gotta get this out. And I was just looking for the... Um, Happy birthday! Yeah, it was my birthday! It was sunrise on the beach in Malibu. I'm gay. Um, it was fun. <laughs> That's how the day went. Um, and I got you this card. Yeah. yeah. In a nice book, I think. Yeah. So, um, beads came out to me, and I come from a context of I was uh, on staff at a Presbyterian church and then on staff at a mega evangelical church. I had been a part of exclusively non affirming organizations. And my entire like theological journey up to this point hadn't really ever been disrupted, if I'm being honest. Like it had only ever been affirmed, my point of view. Um, and it, we had had conversations and mm -hmm. we were a part of conversations in this organization about it being non-affirming. So we were very, very aware of the organization stance of things that we had believed theologically. I knew that there was a lot of conversations around that, but when Beans told me this, I wasn't like shocked or surprised. I love Sammy and I love Beans. And I was like, okay, this is not like super shocking. Um, but but it, was, it was not shocking, but it created giant shock waves in my life. And I knew in that exact moment, like, okay, everything is going to change now. And I had to simultaneously grieve that reality. Like everything is now gonna change. She's gonna leave staff. Our friendship on staff was such a sacred, special thing. Doing ministry together was such a sacred, special thing. Um, and it was like kind of, I knew that that season was ending and I didn't know what to do with that or how to process that. And I didn't know how this would personally affect me or what that would look like. Fast forward six months, they get engaged and Beans asks me to be a bridesmaid in her wedding. And I was like, oh my gosh, great, can't wait. Party on, we're both Enneagram sevens. Um, uh, so we like to skip to Jubilee, but like we've had to sit in the canceling debt seasons. So um, we were like, okay, great. How fun. And I, in passing, told a leader of the organization that I was going to be in their wedding. And through a lot of heart-wrenching conversations, I was informed that wouldn't be good for me to do that. Um, for how influential of a pastor that I was at the time in this organization running a large ministry, basically it was like, we can't tell you not to do this, but you should totally not do this. Um, so that is the conversation that was had over and over and over again. And it's so important for me to say out loud that that was my dream job. Like, there is no way for me to overestimate how much that mattered to me. Like, not only was I in a role that I loved, this, is the, my, this was my dream job. Like, I was doing things I loved. I was preaching and speaking and walking with people and working with people. And it was a super fast-growing organization that was diverse. And I was learning so much. And I really loved my job. I also happened to be the primary breadwinner and our health insurance. And I had a three-month-old. So... These are all like real factors, you know, in life, as you all know. Um, and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. And I went to a lot of therapy and had a lot of tears. And it was a really, really heart-wrenching season for me personally. And I had to sit across from Beans and say, I can't be in your wedding. Um, and I sobbed the entire time and like drank three Moscow mules and just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It was just like a really, like I really, really, really cried and just felt like I, I knew it wasn't right and I didn't know what to do. Is all I, I was like, all I know is that this isn't right and I, I don't have another option. Like I genuinely at the time thought like, okay, I'll quit my job and move in with, we'll move in with our parents. Like that's what's gonna happen here. Um, God hadn't provided the RV yet. Um, so <laughs> it was a like reality for me to sit in this moment of like, this is so heartbreaking and awful and I just don't know what to do. And so I told her that I couldn't be in her, their wedding and cried a lot of tears and thought about this every day, every single day for seven months, I'd say. So from the time I had to tell Beans no to their wedding and then far, far, far after. 
But this was such a heavy thing in my life and in my own story. And their wedding came and I was at the rehearsal dinner and bachelorette party and all of the fun things. And it was right here and it was dreamy and gorgeous. And I sat in the front row in a matching dress. And that's what I felt like was the only thing I could pull off on this day. And I had a lot of conversations that were really heartbreaking and I knew at the wedding that Jesus would have been at this wedding and Jesus would have been standing up there in a matching dress. So I knew all of those things were true, but I didn't know, but my story, it wasn't working. It was really, really messy and hard and awful. Um, and we had to have a lot of huge conversations about forgiveness and about the feeling of the weight I was carrying and how we both talked about this. And I really wish this wasn't any part of my story. Like, this is such a bummer for me to talk about. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, I wasn't in one of my best friend's wedding and you know, that's, that's what it was. And I, I feel like what's weird is to have a part of your story be one you don't like telling. You know, like, oh, the character in this story, I, I'd like to retell this story and not have the character not be me. You know what I mean? Like, I don't wanna be the person who had to have this happen to them and walk this and have this be like the narrative that I walked through, but that is where we're at and that is what happened. Um, Following the wedding, things deteriorated very quickly at work and um, for a lot of reasons. And uh, eight-ish months later, I quit. And I knew it was right in time and done. And in that process, um, Beans and I had a lot of huge, really hard conversations. And Beans, Sammy and I, and my husband, Danny, and we really were in this. And surrounding Beans and I's friendships, we lost friendships over our friendship. Um, and that reality was like, whoa, how come I'm losing friends and you're the one I should have lost friendship with? Um, if, if there's anyone who was allowed to, to, to cut and run, it's her. Um, and that was the really interesting part of this is that people on both sides were mad and people on both sides were angry and people on both sides felt like I did the wrong thing or right thing or, you know, all those kinds of conversations were so hard and heartbreaking. Um, but at the end of the day, both of us were like, I think, I think we're in this. Like, I think that this friendship matters enough for us to continue to have these conversations and to keep showing up at the table. And so we did, and we kept showing up at the table, and they kept showing up at the literal table to eat and hang out. And, um, and it was such a huge part of our life and story. And so now it feels like, okay, a year, two years later, we get to say, like, here was our journey of figuring out what it looks like to be debt cancelers and not debt collectors when we talk to one another, um, and when we hang out with one another, and when we remember our story, um, and when we look back on what we've been through as friends and in our friendship, uh, we want to look back and not say like, oh, here's the seven things that you did. But I'll, you know what? I'll stay friends with you, even though, yeah. you know. But, I'm not, it's, but yeah. I'm not really. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, this is a big thing that, like, this was really, really hard. And it still is hard. And we still have all these conversations. And there's something that, you know, we always talk about. And I'm always talking to people. It's like, how do we define friendship, Right. And it's not by we all hate the same things, right? right? That deteriorates right. so fast, right? It's fine way to start, but then after that, you're like, okay, I think we hit our capacity. Mm -hmm. But there's something about friendship where it's like, you believe that this person is out for your good. Mm -hmm. And you believe this person has an internal compass. And all of life's complications, you believe that that is true. And I had some like heartbreaking conversations with Sammy where I'm like, I'm really frustrated, I'm so hurt, I hate all of this, and I think we should go to Katie's house for happy hour. Um, because I think there's a way to figure this out. And the, the actual practice of canceling debt is so hard when it comes to relationships. Mm -hmm. 
the actual practice of being in that and saying, okay, how do we have this conversation? How do we have it again? How do we keep coming to the table? This is so hard. This is so hurtful. But I believe you're a person with an internal compass. I believe you're out for my good. I believe in this friendship, right? And we have like such a funny society that values almost any other relationship over friendship. Mm -hmm. The reality is that friendship is absolutely integral to everything that we do. And the reason we want to talk about this this morning is not just so that we can all go and like be friends and have a good time, right? Which is great. But whenever Jesus talks about the kingdom, he says it's where it's in our midst. And so if we start to understand this practice of becoming debt uncollectors, no, not debt collectors, debt clearers, right? Cancelers, debt, <laughs> Jubilee. Yes, jubileers. Um, if we can start to engage in this practice of what it looks like to cancel debts in relationship, we get to experience a reality that is so vastly different from the one that the world exists in. And this isn't like some weird hocus pocus Holy Spirit, right? This is like truly when I, I think in the book of Romans when it says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? Which like for a long time just meant like don't have sex before marriage. But I think like... <laughs> Really starting to understand this is like there is a way that the world is telling you that people are disposable, mm -hmm. but the hard work of canceling debts and figuring out those things in relationships allows you to exist in a completely different reality that is so beautiful and so rich and so deep and so hard and good, right? And that's the kingdom reality that Jesus keeps talking about again and again and again. It's not the one where women who are out of well don't aren't spoken to, right? It's not the one where lepers don't have a seat at the table. It's not the one where kids aren't allowed. It's not the one where friendships are disposable. It's the other one that we get to exist in, but we have to do the hard work and maturity of canceling some debts and figuring out what that looks like in relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the first thing that we process together is that great friendships are really expensive. Um, and that's as we talk about like maturity and walking in that, it took me a long time to realize that the people I'm closest to are going to be the same people I have the hardest conversations with. Um, and I think I thought I'd live in some magical world where like all my closest friends I never had to have a hard combo with, you know, it was like, but we just hang out, you know, yeah, cool. Mean girls. Uh -huh. And those, uh, we, we wear pink on Wednesday, yeah. I don't care. Um, but I'm realizing more and more and more that if I desire close, deep personal friendships, those are going to be the people that I have incredibly difficult conversations with. Um, and I think reversed it to where we have really hard conversations with strangers on the internet mm -hmm. and we don't have any really hard conversations across from someone at a table. Um, and because of that, we're like more lonely than we've ever been, more isolated than we've ever been, and we have no relational equity. Um, and I'm realizing that long-term friendships are such an unbelievable sign of maturity in someone. Someone who has had long-term friendships or who has someone in their life that over the last, you know, four, five, three, you know, three years is a long time now. That's what's crazy. Like, like oh, I've been your friend for three years. Like, whoa. Um, and then you like, you know, have your dad who has a friend. He's like, oh, me and Chuck have been friends for 46 years. Yeah. You're like, whoa, nice job, Chuck. Um, like, yeah, for sure had some hard combos. Um, or maybe they haven't, I don't know. Uh, but is, we're realizing as we process more and more that friendships, really great friendships are expensive. Uh, what we mean is they are going to be costly to you. That friendships are an exchange and they require that you have some return on investment, that you give and that you, you say, hey, this is hard for me or this is worth it or I'm gonna show up to your thing or I'm gonna go to your baby shower or I'm gonna sit at the table for this thing. Like We have to become the kind of people who are willing to put some skin in the game in our friendships to make sure that they are something that is holy and real and righteous. And this isn't just so that you can have a bunch of people at your birthday party, right? 
Like these kinds of kingdom friendships are because we as a community are trying to enact a kingdom on earth. And we're going to need people around us to do that. What's fun to think about is when Katie and I were talking about this, and you're like, you know what's wild? This is like a truth. Jesus only had friends. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay? Yeah. The entire early church was just a group of friends. The disciples were all created out of a group of friends, right? And I'm not even saying this to sound super churchy of like, let's go be disciples. I'm just saying that relationships outside of your partner, outside of your immediate family, outside of these things are incredibly important for the work that we do as a community in the world to bring this kingdom reality here. It's not going to be very possible if we isolate ourselves and we're not good at having these hard conversations, canceling debts, and understanding what it means to grow in this way as a community. And Jesus could have chosen a marriage, you know, or an immediate family to bring the kingdom with, but he chose a group of friends. And Jesus said, hey, I'm going to get like 12 people and a lot more that weren't counted, probably because they're women, uh, but <laughs> I'm going to get a group of people together to like bring about the kingdom on earth. And I, there's something about that that is so holy as we've been thinking and talking about this is that Jesus' closest relationships were exclusively friendships. Like Jesus existed in a reality to where his friendships are who he did life with and walked with and prayed with and who he said pray like this with and who he did miracles with. And this amazing reality that we get to sit in together is that if Jesus said friendships are going to be my most important relationship, I think we might need to care a little more about them. Yeah. And I know this is all incredibly hard. Like it's such a bummer to like go up to another human being and be like, I'm sorry for the way I acted. It's so hard to go to another human being and say, you hurt my feelings, okay? Mm -hmm. This is really, really hard work which is strange um, because it sounds so simple. Mm -hmm. um, it's really hard to navigate in the middle of a season where you just wish it would end and it's easier to walk away, mm -hmm. right? Um, but when I think about, I was just talking to my therapist this week, right? Shout out to Abby, if you're listening. She does not listen to the podcast. <laughs> um, but I was saying, man, my friendship with Katie is one of the things I'm most proud of. Um, because it was really, really hard, and it still gets tricky, and there still are hard things, and it's still like, okay, here we go. Um, but the work that it's taken, it's the same way I feel so proud of my relationship to my wife, mm -hmm. right, for what we had to go through to get it. And anyone who has put some skin in the game and who has had to go, go through some shit to have something, you value it in a different way. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes that's a hard work of saying, I am going to cancel the debt I have been holding on this person. Yeah, and I think as I, I had never in my whole life had to like say, and I have asked Sammy and Beans this, and I have written them to this, but I have had to say like, I mean the real like the F word forgiveness. You know, like I need to ask for actual forgiveness, not like, hey, are we cool? Like that wasn't like we like we had to have so much more hard work than that. I had to say like. I need to know that you forgive me in such a way that in our relationship, it will not be defined by the fact that I wasn't in your wedding. Like, I have to ask for such forgiveness that our relationship is not defined by what happened two years ago. Like, I have to ask for such forgiveness that the conversations that we continue to have aren't on the choices I made or you made or the ways we spoke to each other afterwards or the ways I was hurt too or those kind of things. Like, we need to have a conversation about what we mean when we say forgiveness. And that's what's really cool about Christian friendships um, is that I, belie I believe and trust their faith. So I get to say, hey, I need forgiveness in this. Um, and I get to trust that I, I'm with them in that, that it's, it's not just like a, oh, all right. Mm -hmm. 
you know, like, see you next week, maybe, you know, it's, it's a real deep spiritual work that we had to do together to get to a place where um, I get to feel confident again in my relationship status as friends. Um, no matter what's happened or what's been hard, I get to stand in that. And here's the reality, um, <clears throat> as we're going to have another conversation about this, the reality isn't always that someone is asking for your forgiveness. Right. The reality isn't always that someone is coming to you and apologizing and asking for that. And the real, like the even more difficult level of maturity is giving that forgiveness anyway, right? Is, is letting go of that debt, even if someone hasn't asked you to. And the person that that creates in you is incredibly important to the way in which we engage with the world. So we're gonna get back in our groups and we're gonna answer this question or any question you want. In what relationships do you feel like a debt collector? Enjoy. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.